We are in the midst of a study through Romans. Uh, if you're new to Grace Church, that's our normal practice, is to be preaching through books of the Bible. Um, we do take occasional breaks, to, like during the holidays and things, but most of the time we will be working through uh, books of the Bible and uh, uh, probably be in Romans for 10 years. So, no, We're not in a hurry. We'll see, just take it as it comes, right? But I'm going to read this, I'm going to pick up in verse 19 of chapter 3 and read through verse 8 of chapter 4. And we'll be looking at the first five verses of chapter 4 this morning. And just to give you a heads up, um, today we'll look at Romans 4, 1 through 5. Next week we're going to look at James 2 and show that Paul and James don't contradict one another. Then we'll come back after that and look, look at what it truly means to be blessed or blessed, um, looking at David there in 6 to, six to 8. So just so you know where we're going. But um, picking up in verse 19 of chapter 3. This is God's Word. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. Why? So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Gen Jews only? Is He not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith <clears throat> and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one who, to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. 
Lord, help us this morning. Help us to focus on you, to focus on your word. Help me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit. And help us to hear it in the power of the Spirit as your word with the purpose of understanding it and obeying it and honoring you through it. So bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. Accomplish all of your purpose. Cleanse us from sin. Fill us with your spirit and have your way in us as we look to you. Feed us, Lord. We praise and thank you that we have your word and that we have your spirit to apply your word to our hearts. We lean hard on you this morning. We do it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. January 6th, 1850. It was a cold and snowy Lord's Day. And young Charles Spurgeon was walking to church. And he couldn't make it because of the weather. So he turns down an alley and he comes to this primitive Methodist church. And he goes in there. And evidently there, the, the pastor couldn't make it because of the weather either. And one of the, one of the older gentlemen, uh, members of the church, had to stand up and give the message. And he gave a message that Charles Spurgeon said was not much of a message, and the man didn't say everything just right, and his words were not polished. But he gave a message on Isaiah 45, 22, which says, Look to me. And be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. Look to me and be saved. And he would repeat that throughout the message. And here's a, here's a segment of what he preached. Look unto me, I am sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I am hanging on the cross. Look unto me, I am dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend to heaven. Look unto me, I am sitting at the Father's right hand. O oh, poor sinner, look unto me, look unto me. And that morning, young Charles Spurgeon, who had been looking unto himself and trying to do the best that he could and thought in many ways he was the best at some things, finally looked away from himself unto the Lord and was justified by God, was saved, was converted, became a Christian. See, today we're in verses 4, 1 to 5, and we're going to look at God justifies the ungodly. As I titled it, that comes from verse 5. But where we've come so far, we've seen that Paul has given a greeting. He's told the Roman church what he's going to be writing about. He's given his thesis statement in 1, 16 and 17, which is the gospel, which he's not ashamed of, for it is the power of God for the salvation of the Jew first and also the Gentile. He's shown that righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he launched from there in 1, 18 to 3, uh, 20, basically, to show that both Jew and Gentile are unrighteous, sinful, and need a Savior. And he's begun at 321 picking up and describing justification 
by faith alone. The free gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus. The righteousness that God requires has been accomplished by His Son and is gifted to those who put their hope and trust in in Christ. In other words, those who look away from themselves and look to Christ in faith. More than just mental assent, but a trust and rest in the Lord Jesus Christ that comes from believing the gospel about who Christ is and what He's done. So again, we'll look at verses 1 to 5 in chapter 4. Uh, the main thing I want you to take away, main point, is look away from self to Christ like Abraham and you will be declared righteous by God. And if you've already done that, know that you have been. Because a lot of times, we, we, even though we come to Christ and come to faith in Christ, we, we, we start to default into sort of leaning on our own performance for our joy. So look away from yourself to Christ and know that God has saved you. He has justified you. He is sanctifying you. He has declared you righteous on the basis of Jesus Christ and His righteousness, and therefore He's transforming you into His image. He's leading you, as we sang, through the smooth seas and through the rough seas. And as we sang, all the way home to be with Him. So look at, look at verses four, I mean, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. We'll see that Abraham was justified by faith alone. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? See, he's, he's going to answer Jewish objections in this section. Right? He's, 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 he is a Jew, uh, a Jew of Jews. You see that if we go to Philippians 3, we won't. You can go read that. And he's saying, what shall we say about Abraham? our forefather, according to the flesh. How was Abraham justified? Was Abraham justified based on what he did? See, this is what many of the Jews believed, that Abraham was a righteous man, that he could stand on his own performance, and that God would accept him on the basis of that performance. And Paul is going to sort of cut the legs out from under that as we look and see how Abraham was justified. But let's review quickly before we do that. We are memorizing question 33 of the catechism, and we, we, we have promised you this is important for you to do. It's summarizing what the Bible teaches. It will let you know what justification means. So question 33, what is justification? <clears throat> justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein He pardons all our sins. Wow, stop. Christ paid the penalty we deserve to pay, so He pardons all of our sins, cleanses us from our sins. Our sins that are written darkly on our record before His judgment bar are washed away. Wherein He pardons all our sins and... See, it's not just as though we'd never sinned. You hear sometimes people say justification means just as though you never sinned. That's only half of it. Cleansing is only half of it. Record being clean, but it's still, we, at, at that point, we don't have any righteousness, right? So he says, he says, and accepts us as righteous in his sight. That's a big deal, being righteous in God's sight. The only one ever has been, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ who kept the law in thought, word, and deed. Many are said to be blameless in Scripture. Right? As looking on their life externally, you would not see anything to, 
to cast blame on them, but we know in thought, word, and deed, all of us are sinners and fall short. We've already seen that, Jew and Gentile, everyone who's ever been born. But this way, justification is an act of God's grace wherein He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Work on that uh, phrase by phrase. Get that down. Get the scriptures behind it. Make that part of your being so that you understand on what basis you've been justified. It's not your perfect works, but it's Christ's perfect works. If you've trusted in Christ, you did that because of God's grace. And this is what he's done by declaring you righteous. In God's courtroom, <clears throat> you've been declared righteousness, righteous. But see, Abraham, who was Abraham? Well, at first he was Abram. His name was changed later. But where did Abraham come from? Our forefather, according to the flesh, and many Jews thought he was righteous, could stand on his own. But, but where did Abram and then Abraham come from? Well, he was an idolater in Ur of the Chaldees, along with his family, when God called him out. See, God called him out. And graciously used him for a purpose, but not because he deserved to be called out. In fact, it was contra what he deserved. He did not deserve to be called out. And yet he was. And see, we're not just guessing. Here's just one, one place in Scripture. Joshua 24, 2 and 3. And this is God speaking. And you can go read it in context. But long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. So you can see that God reached into the pot of idolaters and took one out, made him the father of a nation, made him the father of the faithful, as we'll see as we move on in chapter 4. But this was a work of grace. It was nothing Abraham deserved. He was an idolater who deserved condemnation. And he received grace. And Paul is holding his, uh, him up as a paragon of grace, not as a paragon of achievement on his own. God called him out and then made... If you're reading, if you're reading the Bible with us, you'll see how it moves quickly to the life of Abraham. There's a lot of time compression as you read. And it's, it almost blows your hair back as you're reading. And we get to chapter 12, we see where it slows down a bit when we get to Abram, <clears throat> who will become Abraham. And we have the promises when he was 75 years old in chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. The promises God made to Abram, he's, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you and I will make, look at this, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And here we go in Galatians 3, gospel, good news, it's going to be a blessing for all the families of the earth. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not just the Jews. Catch it. All the families of the earth will be blessed through what God is going to do because of His grace in the life of Abram who will become 
Abraham. Now look back in verse 2. And Paul's going to put forward a, a hypothetical here. He's sort of quickly introduced Abraham as our forefather according to the flesh. Jews know exactly what he's talking about. And he's, he's going to answer some of their misunderstandings and objections when it comes to Abraham. We can see what he's doing in the context. He's using Abraham as exhibit A of justification by faith alone. Which we just talked about in, in verses 21 uh, through 30, 31 of chapter 1. And seeing that it's justified by His grace, verse 24, as a gift through the redemption. And if Abraham was justified, it was by God's grace as a gift, not because he deserved it. Now look what Paul's going to say in verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, look, general word for works. That helps us when we're interpreting works of the law and things like that. All works included here, right? If Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about. So if as the Jews thought that it was on the basis of his life he was acceptable to God, then he should be able to boast. I'm better than you. I did it right. I did it my way. No, I did it your way. Right? But no, Paul says he has nothing to boast about. And listen, come on. If, if, read the Bible with us in Genesis. It doesn't take long before you'll see. He didn't really deserve God's blessing. If you lie about your wife and allow her to get taken into a, another man's harem, you're not exactly honoring God. And I don't know what kind of woman you married, but that, that would be dangerous to my health. She ain't putting up with that. Paul says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. And he would. But he says, not before God. Abraham was not, he had, he had, he had a flawed record. He wasn't perfect in thought, word, and deed. He, he didn't start perfect. He started sinful and idolater who experienced God's grace. And he didn't perform perfectly as we've just shown one example. And he did it more than once. And Paul's pointing out, he said, he not have anything to boast about before God. Abraham couldn't boast in himself. And listen, I don't know who you are and where you're from. Neither can you. Because unless you've kept God's commandments, all of them perfectly out of love for the Lord and gratitude to the Lord and joy in His ways, you've kept His law in thought, word, and deed. You're not righteous, you're unrighteous and you deserve hell but, and you need a Savior. Stop hoping, like young Charles Spurgeon, look away from yourself. Because you're the problem, not the answer. You're the biggest sinner you know. You may not admit that. But we've got to get the beam out of our own eye. And he's helping the Jews reach over and get the beam out of Abraham's that they put there. He didn't put it there. If he was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Why? Look at verse 3. For what does the Scripture say? And here he's quoting Genesis 15, verse 6. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him 
as righteousness. See, God had made all these promises to him when he was 75 years old, and now he's 85 years old, and he's discouraged because things are not happening on his timetable. Much less being a nation, he don't even have a kid coming from his, his loins yet. And he's telling God, you know, Eliezer of Damascus, one of my servants in my house will be my heir. And God's like, no. Uh-uh. No. That's not how this is going to happen. I've already promised you what I was going to do through you. And if we go back and read in Genesis 15. I'll just read a little bit of it. After he's rescued Lot, after he's defeated the kings and rescued Lot, um, the word of the Lord came to him in a vision. Gone through what I'm telling you. Um, Abraham said in verse 3, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household be my heir. And he, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside. And he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And at that point, it says, He believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God was going to fulfill what he had promised. And he's renewed as God takes a, a, a self-maledictory oath in making covenant and making promises in 15. I don't have time to go through that. No, I'll, I'll let you go read that. But he was renewed in hope of God's promises to do what God had promised. And the Lord tells him to look at the stars and count them if he's able. You ever tried to do that? Kids, have you ever tried to count the stars? It's pretty hard, isn't it? And those are just the ones we can see, and you can't get through those, right? What's its point? You're going to be a father of a multitude. That's what he names, right? You're going to be a father of a multitude. But what did Abraham believe? Did he just believe he's going to have a bunch of kids? That's a good question, right? No. Abraham recognized that his seed would produce the Messiah, the promised Savior of sinners. Remember, the one that God's already promised, through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So he's looking past just a, just a sheer number, and he's understanding that the Messiah is going to come through him. And he knew more than we give him credit for. I mean, if you go read the story of the sacrifice of Isaac, which is not the sacrifice of Isaac, God provides a substitute that is sacrificed in Isaac's place. But at the end of that, it says it began to be said that on the mount of the Lord it will be provided. See, they were constantly looking forward, and, and God had given them light. And so Abraham knew more than we give him credit for. He knew enough to look that his, his seed would be the Messiah, and in the Messiah, a vast host would be provided. 
I mean, John says this in 856 in John, the Gospel of John. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it by faith. Way before it ever happened. Well, John's telling us he saw Christ coming through him and knew and therefore believed in the coming one. We believe in the one who's already come and is coming again, right? But he looked forward in faith and trusted. He believed that God would provide a, a, a seed, a natural seed through him and a number of people, that he would be the father of a great nation and have a great name and be a blessing. He's already been a blessing, right? And that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. He knew the Messiah would come and provide the sacrifice necessary. On the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And that this Messiah would be his seed. What does it say? Abraham believed God. Abraham trusted God. Again, it's more than just mental assent. You know, the three elements of true and saving faith are knowledge of the facts of the gospel. Belief that those facts are true. But we've said before, the devil does that much. He knows what the gospel is. He knows Christ is who he said he was. He knows he died, was buried and raised from the grave. He's not a Christian. Third and final element of true and saving faith is trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's looking to him. It's resting in him. All of our hope in him for salvation. And that's what Abram has done here. And it says this. And it was counted, it was counted to him as righteousness. How can I, a sinful man, be righteous in the sight of God? Well, it's, as Paul said to the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's by hoping outside myself. It's by trusting and resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we know later it's, it's the blessing is counted to, to those who are both circumcised and uncircumcised, Jew and Gentile. And we'll see that as we keep going. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him or credited to him. That word there means to put to one's account or to credit. To telestai. Interesting, it's the same word that Christ used on the cross when he said, it is finished. Paid in full debt paid so that in heaven's accounting our debt has been paid by the son and his righteousness is then credited to us so that when God declares us righteous remember our definition it's only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us credited to us and received by faith alone God credited Abraham's account with a legal righteousness, an alien righteousness, a forensic righteousness, a courtroom, however you want to say that. It was not Abraham's righteousness because he didn't have one. Right? It's another righteousness, what we know to be the righteousness of Christ, a gift as we've seen in chapter 3 to all who put their hope and trust in Jesus. He trusted not upon his own meritorious grounds, but upon God and his promise of the Messiah 
who would take care of his need. Faith is simply, and it, it, you could read it that way, it was credited to him. You, so you could read it as though his faith was the basis of his, him being counted righteous. But we've already talked about this in Romans, that the, the, the faith is merely like the hands that receive a gift. Right? They're not the basis of our being made right. They're simply the hands that receive a gift that was paid for. Faith is the instrument that connects us to Christ. Through faith, we're united to Christ in union with Him, cleansed from our sin, clothed in His righteousness. And on the basis of His righteousness, we are counted righteous. We are credited with righteousness. We are as righteous before the judgment bar of God as His Son is. See, that's just why I'm saying this will give you peace. And this is the only place to find it. Because if you're hoping in yourself and your own performance, you're going to have days when you feel good and days when you feel bad and mostly in the middle somewhere and you're going to be almost of no account. That's if you're a Christian. Yes, Christians still do that. We still get on that roller coaster of performance, don't we? But see, his faith connected him to that seed Messiah who was coming through that redemption that hadn't been accomplished yet was, but was previously applied in God's eyes as though it had been accomplished. So that he was imputed or credited a righteousness before God. Abraham was justified on the basis of the righteousness of the Messiah who would come. Therefore, he has nothing to boast about except in the Lord. We talked about that last week. Let he who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why? Because we can't boast in ourselves. Paul's cutting the legs out from under all of the Jews who would think Abraham on his own merit was a righteous man. He's saying no. And the scripture proves that. Don't you love how he goes to the scripture? And notice how he calls Genesis scripture, in case you're struggling with that. <clears throat> Abraham was justified by faith alone. I broke this down simply. You too can be justified by faith alone. Look, look in verses 4 and 5. Listen to me. This is the only way you'll be justified. It's not you do your best and God does the rest. Our best is filthy rags. What does Isaiah say? All our righteousness is almost good enough. Is that what he says? No, he says it's filthy rags. And I won't go into what those rags are, but they were filthy. Look in verses 4 and 5. This is really good news if you'll hold on to it. Now to the one who works. See, he brings the workplace into view here. An illustration from the workplace. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So whatever your job is, you work according to what the, the details of your hiring are, and you get paid for that. You get paid what you promised to be paid. You don't go into, well, we don't even do that anymore. You don't have to go get a check from anybody anymore, right? It just shows up in your bank account. But you don't say, when you get your paycheck, you don't say, oh, they were so gracious to me. Most of the time you're saying, I need a raise. But... <laughs> No, wages are what is due upon the performance of the work required. To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Your paycheck is not a gift, but it's what you were due for performing the job that you're hired to do. Look at what he says. Now to the one who works, 
His wages not counted as a gift, but his due. And to the one who does not work. Again, we have a general word for works encompassing all works. So that's confirming our interpretation previous on works of the law and things like that. It's more than just identity markers. It is more than just things that separate Jew from Gentile. It is the law that shows a sin at the end of chapter 3. It's seeking to keep God's law in order to be made right with God. That's just not how it works. To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but is due. Now watch this. And to the one who does not work, does not do work for it. He's not working for it. He's not, or she's not seeking to earn it. We're moving from the illustration to back to justification here. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Does not work, not working, not trying to earn it, knows he falls far short, like the tax collector, right? You remember the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18? Like the tax collector, he wouldn't even look up, but beat his breast out under conviction, knowing that he falls far short. He cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said he went home justified. Not the Pharisee who was standing up there, I do this and I do that and I don't do this and I don't know, I'm not like him. Legalists are aggravating. God have mercy on me a sinner. God must have mercy upon us. We need His grace as we saw in the definition of justification because we have no works we can plead before God. None of them to be the basis of our justification. And again, we're going to keep our justification and sanctification. We'll understand both and we'll talk more about that in chapter 6. But we have nothing to plead for God to declare us righteous if, unless we have looked outside of ourselves to the Lord, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and received His righteousness. Therefore, we have a basis. Because look what it says. I mean, if you believe there's some way for us to merit anything, this, this just kind of takes that away. To the one who does not work but contrast believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness, just like Abraham. Believe, look at it. Look, look at it. Believes in him who justifies the ungodly. God justifies the ungodly. He doesn't wait for us to be godly before he justifies us. You know why? Because we can't. God justifies the ungodly. That's the best news you can ever receive if you're willing to receive it. If the gospel has humbled you. You'll be like the tax collector who wants all of his sin to be taken away. God have mercy on me, a sinner. 
The ungodly are those who know that they're sinners, who know that they're lost, who know that they're unrighteous, who are convicted over their sin and grieve over it. Those who are sorry that they have offended God and believe God's word and therefore cry out for mercy. What was condemned in the Old Testament was calling uh, sin, righteousness, and righteousness, sin. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about being made right with God. God justifies the ungodly. Those who like the tax collector. We sing this all, well, not all the time, but we do sing it. Nothing in my hands I bring. Nothing. No thing. I have nothing to plead. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, come to thee. And on it goes. Naked, sinful, helpless, ungodly, needing a Savior. But if like the tax collector we'll look, and like Charles Spurgeon, we'll look away from ourselves unto Christ, ah, we find that salvation. Because in Him we can be forgiven and cleansed. And in Him we can be clothed in His righteousness. Nothing in my hands I bring. I'm fully dependent upon your grace. How can you save a sinner like me? That's why Jesus came. To die, we'll see it in chapter 5, to die for his enemies. Jesus came to die for his enemies, both Jew and Gentile, given to him before the foundation of the world. Christ lived. See, he didn't just beam down to the cross and die and beam back up. He didn't beam anywhere. It's a Star Trek reference, but <clears throat> he was born in humiliation. He lived under his own law. He fulfilled that law perfectly in thought, word, and deed. He deserved only blessing, but he took our guilt upon himself and went to that cross and paid the penalty we deserved to pay. And because he was the God-man, one person, two natures forever, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second Adam. See, he could pay that penalty on that cross on that day. He could, he could drink the cup of God's wrath, do his people that he was saving, and he could say before he gave up his spirit, it is finished. And he can promise to give you this salvation as a free gift if you'll look to him and trust him. No room for boasting except in him. Conviction, loss of hope in self causes us to trust, to look to God and trust in his son who is Abraham's seed. Good news, God justifies the ungodly who look to Christ. Notice I said who look to Christ. No other fount. Just as Abraham looked into his seed and through his seed to Christ, Christ himself said, I am the way, not a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is your hope in Jesus? I know the world doesn't like that kind of exclusive, exclusiveness, but... God does, and it's his son, and he sacrificed his son for our sin. And on that basis, go read it, end of Acts chapter 17. He commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn and trust in his son. God justifies the ungodly.
who look to Christ. And Abraham is exhibit A of disgrace. His faith was counted as righteousness. Here's you another a definition of justification. Memorize the other one before you switch to this one. But justification is the sovereign act of God whereby he declares the righteous, declares righteous the believing sinner while he or she is still in a sinning state. Capturing God, justifying the ungodly who by his grace put faith in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus by God's grace, God declares us, he'll make us righteous at that point. He declares us righteous. Faith unites us to Christ so that we're cleansed and clothed in his righteousness and we're, re we're renewed. So again, our definition, repetition, one of the laws of the learner. If you have this down pat, then you have the right to get angry about this that I keep repeating it. If you don't have this down pat, I'm going to keep repeating it. And we get it all down pat. But justification is the act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and receives us as righteous in his sight or accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So what do we take away from this? One, we've already said this, we'll say it again. Old Testament saints were saved the same way New Testament saints are. There's not more than one way. There's not more than one way the gospel's been applied. Abraham was saved just like we are. And that's through faith in the Messiah. It's, it's justification by faith alone. In Christ alone. To the glory of God alone. Down the line we could go. There's not more than one people of God. And there's not more than one way of salvation. And there's no way you can read Romans and think that the Jews are just born under God's favor. No matter what John Hagee says and all of that crowd. In fact, don't listen to those people. They got really, really bad theology. Jew and Gentile need a Savior. That Savior is Jesus. Same one Abraham found is the one I recommend to you. This is really important not, for you to, not only for you to believe, but for you to believe every day. Number two, justification is not by your works. God doesn't love you because of who you are. Your good days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Your bad days are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. It's all by grace. It's a work of His grace. You are not justified based on what you do. By your attempts to obey. Abraham wasn't. None of us are. Third, quickly, justification is by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. Sola fide, you may have heard that language. It's merely Latin for justification by faith. Sola was the big word. Sola was the word that got him in trouble. Alone. Faith alone. Every Catholic would say you're justified by faith, meaning something totally different. And the Reformers found in Scripture to be the true gospel. Justification by faith alone. Look away from self to Christ and you will be justified, forgiven, and accepted as righteous in God's sight. As the man preached to young Spurgeon, look to me and be saved. Not look to you and be saved. Look to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth. For I am God 
and there is, and there is no other. In other words, there is a God and it's not you. And it's Him. And you have to look to Him to find the salvation that is there available. Spurgeon's testimony of what happened when he looked to Christ. I'm going to read you a little bit of that. I think we have slides for it. It's a little bit long quote. But watch this. Watch what he said happened in him and then through him when he finally looked to Christ and rested his hope in Christ. He said, my spirit saw its chains broken to pieces. I felt that I was an emancipated soul, an heir of heaven, a forgiven one, accepted in Jesus Christ, plucked out of the miry clay and out of the horrible pit with my feet set upon a rock and my goings established. Between half past 10 o'clock when I entered that chapel and half past 12 o'clock, watch that. We don't have long services here. If you're used to the Lord, the sort of hour thing, we don't do that. We're done when we're done. I hope you're okay with that. But look what Spurgeon said. Between half past 10 o'clock when I entered the chapel, half past 12 o'clock when I went back home, when I was back at home again, what a change had taken place in me. See, he was born again. He had a new heart. He had new affections. It all made sense now. He got, if you could read his testimony, he can say, he would say, I don't remember ever hearing the gospel before then. And he said, that's not because nobody preached it to me. But I didn't have ears to hear until that day. Now watch this. What a change had taken place in me. Simply by looking to Jesus. Simply by looking to Jesus. That's faith alone. I had been delivered from despair. See, navel-gazing causes despair. If you get on the performance trail field, if you look to yourself for confidence, you're going to be in despair. Or a prideful legalist. I'd been delivered from despair, and I was brought into such a joyous state of mind that when they saw me at home, they said to me, something wonderful has happened to you. His countenance was different. And I was eager to tell them all about it. That's what he does in the heart. The one he saved. Oh, there was joy in the household that day when all heard that the eldest son had found the Savior and knew himself to be forgiven. Do you know that joy? Do you know yourself to be forgiven? If you do, it will be because you've looked to Christ. You've received God's cleansing from sin. You've received the free gift of righteousness in Christ. You have been justified, made right with God, and declared righteous on the basis of Christ. If not, look to Christ and be saved forever. Find that deliverance you hope for in the only place it can be found, in the Lord Jesus Christ. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy. Lead us in the way everlasting. Cleanse us from our sin in Christ. Clothe us in His righteousness. Cause us to look to Christ. God, have mercy. Like the tax collector, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
and those of us who have looked to Christ. Strengthen our assurance by our continuing to look to Christ and knowing that, like Abraham, we are justified by faith alone. Build us up in your grace. And like young Spurgeon, may we be eager to tell others what you have done in us, how you can do that in them, about this seed that was coming from Abraham's perspective and has come from ours about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of sinners. Have mercy on us, Lord. Thank you for your grace as we will sing Amazing Grace. Do your work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Stan, let's sing Amazing Grace.